that dedicated day of practice today. Over these days, we've, we've talked about the contemplations of mindfulness, how we contemplate the body, how we contemplate Vedana, feeling tones, how we contemplate mental states, moods, being aware that through our lives, these are not new contemplations for us. And yet often we have contemplated these, these dimensions of our life through the lens of anxiety or fear, obsession. And with this practice, of course, we are learning to not so much change the furniture as to change the lens of how we see with acceptance, with mindfulness, with patience, with investigation. Contemplating the third foundation of mindfulness, the, the emotional texture, the mood, the mental states, is by really by, by default in many ways to contemplate thought also. Because what we do see is that mental states or moods, emotional states, really produce thoughts that very much carry the flavor of the mental state. I mean, if we're aversive, if there's an aversive state of mind, of course, the thoughts that arise from that tend to be very aversive, very rarely ones of kindness. You know, if there's an anxious state of mind, you see the tendency towards obsession very much picking up that emotional tone. I think what is why it is so stressed so largely to be aware of mental states is because they are like the, the origin of the thinking processes. But what we also see is that the thinking processes really feed back into the mental state to strengthen it, to reinforce it, to legitimize it sometimes. You know, if there's aversive thinking, the thoughts are aversive, perception becomes selective, we only see what is wrong, that feeds back to strengthen the state of mind. Along the way, it picks up the sense of self-view. You know, I am so angry, or I am like this, or I am so worried. And this is a kind of toxic loop that goes round and round. And it is really helpful to really be paying attention to the state of mind throughout the day. And the thoughts are often the clue to your state of mind. You know, if you see thoughts are carrying a particular flavor. The fourth foundation of mindfulness is the contemplation of the dhammas. It is called the contemplation of the dhammas. It's really rather a fancy way of saying it's a contemplation of life and everything that arises in life. All of the foundations of mindfulness are this. But the fourth foundation of mindfulness is really, um, it kind of lays the scene for our practice. It lays the scene for our investigation. Uh, within the fourth foundation of mindfulness, there is the Four Noble Truths. It's a very universal contemplation. So the Four Noble Truths, being aware of unsatisfactoriness, being aware of its cause, being aware of its end, uh, of suffering, being aware of the path to the end of suffering. This kind of sets the stage for our journey. That is our central dedication. It is what this path, this teaching is really all about, is those four noble truths. 
And we actually bring them into a practice form by actually seeing moment to moment where there is suffering struggle. What is causing it? How does it come to an end? And of course, this last most important part of this at all, of all, how do we cultivate a path that brings suffering to an end in the moment? It takes a remarkable awareness. Within the, four, within the four, fourth foundation of mindfulness, in that, in that kind of landscape of our life, it's then really looking, what gets in the way of us seeing those Four Noble Truths? Well, guess what? The hindrances. No? Sloth, torpor, restlessness, you know, aversion, craving, doubt. Certainly the Buddha put a lot of emphasis upon really understanding what veils our capacity to see clearly, what really covers our capacity to see clearly. And pretty much all of the difficult states of mind have their roots in these hindrance factors. But put alongside the hindrance factors are really then what removes those veils. The seven factors of awakening. Guess what? Mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy, tranquility, concentration, equanimity. These are set alongside the hindrance factors. The hindrance factors cloud the mind. The cultivation that we've talked about in this practice, what do we cultivate in moment to moment, dispels the hindrance factors, dispels that veiling, veiling character of the hindrance factors. Within the Four Noble Truths, you know, they're spoken about the aggregates, now that's interesting. What is it that makes you who you believe yourself to be? It is the contemplation of this whole formation of self. And, you know, in this teaching, you know, probably you all know, we actually don't give much weight to there being an enduring, solid, independent self, but something that is actually shaped moment to moment by what is clung to. And where do we cling? within the aggregates, you know, clinging to the body, clinging to feeling, clinging to perception, clinging to volition, clinging to consciousness. This is what actually gives the shape of me. The shape of I in any moment is actually shaped by what has been identified with or clung to. So this fourth foundation of mindfulness, in a way, is kind of, you know, it's, it's not so much about the me story, you know, or the me contents. It is really much more looking at this kind of universal landscape of really, what is it that is shaping the moment? You know, what is it that is shaping the moment? How are we experiencing the moment? Now, when you look at the fourth foundation of mindfulness, in a way, it seems like, like such a vast amount of information, but in a way, it kind of sums up a lot of the teaching right in the fourth foundation of mindfulness. But the fourth foundation of mindfulness is, is the investigation. You know, and you know, certainly the Buddha said, you know, investigation is really the most important of all awakening factors. But when he talked about investigation, he's not talking about that, those sort of like speculative questions, you know. Who am I? Oh, I don't know. You know, it's, uh, I might be this, I might be He's not talking about this sort of vague, you know, and he's certainly not talking about obsession. You know, he's certainly not talking about just thinking about 
investigation really does really have these two aspects of being very experiential investigation. You know, and all of meditation practice is actually experiential investigation on so many levels. You know, when we do contemplate the body, when we sit with the body, when we explore pain, when we explore where there is no pain, when we explore how this whole body sense is one that is changing, when we investigate, you know, that experiential investigation moment to moment of being in the body through sitting and walking, it is an experiential investigation. There's also an experiential investigation that we've been undertaking all through the practice, which is really going beyond our habitual reactions. You know, what happens when you have the intention, you know, to stay for a moment with discomfort, to go past the flinch moment, to go past that moment of impulsiveness that says, oh, fix it, you know? What happens when we actually stay with that for just a moment we're going into territory that is much more unknown and unfamiliar, which actually really challenges our whole ideas of self. It challenges the whole world of impulse and reactivity. It's an experiential investigation. What happens in the walking path, you know, when you get that flinch moment, this is enough already, you know, I put in my time here, you know, and, and you go past that moment, you know, you just go past that moment and just persevere. Actually, you're going into unfamiliar territory, you're going past that sense of possibility and impossibility. It is experiential investigation. You know, what happens if you see the judgmental thought arise in the mind and instead of diving right into it, you actually have the understanding that it might be wise to practice a little restraint here, you know, that it might be wise to step out of that judgmental thinking or obsession, that it might be wise to cultivate some spaciousness. That is experiential investigation because you're going past the habit patterns of the mind that really keep us really stuck within those very familiar repetitive loops. So all of the practice in that sense, that everything we do in the sitting and walking is an experiential investigation of what is possible. It's a questioning of what is possible rather than just the assumption of this is who I am, this is what is possible for me, this is impossible. It's coming to know our experience moment to moment through the lens of mindfulness, through the lens of kindness. There are also reflective investigations. You know, you listen to the teaching, you listen to the talks. Hopefully, you know, it sparks a thought or two. You know, like, what does that mean for me? (laughs) You know, how does that apply for me? You know, hopefully it's not just dulcet sounds floating through, listening, listening, you know. Hopefully there is some sense there of like, what does this actually mean for me? You know, how do I understand that? How do I apply that? That's a reflective investigation. Hmm? And, you know, we don't always know how to reflect well, but that reflective investigation is that examination that I talked about last night. You know, listening to the teaching, reflecting on it, how does this... Uh, you know, touch my own experience. How do I understand it? And again, this is not 
just, you know, like a, a school task, you know, where we have to find an answer, you know, or come out with a solution. It's much more that the questions are far more important. And being able to hold the questions with curiosity rather than, again, just feeling like it's a task, you know, and there must be a right solution. But being aware that when we undertake those investigations in the practice, we are undertaking the investigation, for example, of the Four Noble Truths. You know, because you've seen in these days here, you know, sitting in silence with yourself, day after day, hour after hour, you may have noticed, really does make things quite clear inwardly around where we're hooked, where there is suffering. And then we start to see with mindfulness, what are the causes? We start to see that very directly in our own experience, experientially. We can see the surges of craving, of aversion, of clinging. And we know, we begin to know so clearly, this is the cause of suffering in this moment. You know, that its outcome is suffering. So we start to really see those first two noble truths. The third noble truth is pretty important here, you know, because we are really talking about bringing suffering to an end. Now, it's very important to understand what we mean by bringing suffering to an end. Clearly, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're going to have a body that lives forever and never feels any pain. That is not suffering. The kind of suffering that is talked about in the fourth noble truth in the Four Noble Truths, is, are those whole psychological and, and emotional knots of confusion of not seeing things clearly. And then there is the path to the end of suffering. And that is what we've been doing all these days together. We're cultivating a path that is truly dedicated to bringing about the end of suffering in a way to liberate the moment. To liberate the moment. Don't always just put the third noble truth as some huge breakthrough experience that happens to other people. You know, really understand that in the practice here, we are practicing nibbana. We are practicing liberation. We are really practicing how to liberate this moment from confusion and distress and despair and struggle and conflict. And that is what our practice is really dedicated to. And I think it is so important to bring it into that level of immediacy. This moment matters. You know? This moment matters. All those moments when of inattention, all those moments when we're spaced out, all those moments when we're tangled, entangled in something, those moments matter. Those are the moments where we actually practice in liberation. So again, a very dedicated, calm day, intentional day of practice, really remembering what we are doing here. Remembering when you come to sit, when you go to your walking path, what is this time really dedicated to? What is this time really in the service of? You know, and again, it's not about an answer. It's about holding the question. It's about holding the question. And knowing that even in the, in the sophistication of this teaching, isn't there just this thread of remarkable simplicity? Be here. Be with what is. Establish your foundation in this moment with what is. It's a kind of message that comes through again and again.
just settling into your posture, into your body.